0: Welcome to this special JustCast series about the upcoming Reclosure 2021 conference. We are going to have a brief conversation with our speakers, asking them some questions about their life and job to get to know them better. Today with us is Katie Fiesler. Katie is Research Professor of Computer Science at Brown University. Katie is giving a talk at Reclosure this year. Hi Katie, how are you today? Fine, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. So. Let me start by asking you a very important question that we ask to all our guests, which is, what is your favorite pizza topping?
1: Oh, my favorite pizza topping is actually pineapple.
0: Okay, you're the second one on the podcast. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So the population of pineapple lovers is increasing on the pizza topping. Well, fantastic. Um, And now on a more serious uh, note. How did you get into computers, and what exciting for you about software technology?
1: I kind of fell into computing. So when I went to college, I thought I was going to um, study mathematics. And at the time, they had a requirement that the students studying math would have to take an introductory course in computing. So I had a space in my schedule, uh, second semester of, of university, and I signed up for the computing class. And I really found it hard. I struggled with it. I didn't understand what was going on. And I just I couldn't figure out what was happening. But I kept working at it. I kept working at it, passed the class, but didn't trust that I actually knew what, what I was doing. So I signed up for the second computer science class. Uh, that was going even worse than the first one until things clicked around the middle of the semester. And then things started making sense. And by the time I got through the second semester and taking the third semester to prove that the second semester end wasn't a fluke, I realized I like computers a lot better than than math. Uh, So I I switched over and studied computing in, in college. I think what I liked about it, was when you got stuck on a math problem, you and the piece of paper just kind of stared at each other and, and nothing happened. But at least with the computer, you would get some interaction from whatever programming environment you were using. You'd get an error message, or um, you know, I came through in the, the days of, of Pascal on the Mac, so you'd get this little bomb that said, sorry, an error occurred, is that okay? Right. Um, and it wasn't okay, but at least it was feedback. And I found that that cycle of interaction with the messages from a programming environment just it really drew me in. Um, so I, I loved that. And that's one yeah. of the reasons I, I switched over. I think what I liked about, about software was the idea that you could create whatever you wanted to. Um, and it was really a limit of what you could imagine and how you sought to, to model something or put it together. And once you made that decision, you could build anything. Uh, and I liked the, the creativity and the freedom implicit in that.
0: Yeah, I I also have the same impression when I think about software and why I like it as one of the aspects I like the most, like uh, being able to create entire worlds uh, just at your keyboard. Right. And uh, yeah, fantastic. Thank you for being persistent in those years, like the initial years, right, and and getting into computer science. Um, Do you have a computer science hero? And uh, if you had lunch with them or lunch or drinks with them, what would you ask?
1: So, I have to admit, I saw that question, and my imposter syndrome kicked on in a big way, because I don't think in terms of heroes. Um, I don't know if that's because when I started in computer science, I was struggling through it. so I just i I didn't look at other people and say, oh i could be I could be that person." I just kept my head down and saying, "I gotta figure this out." Um, so that that wasn't even a framing that that made sense to me. And as I've tried to think about it, here, the other thing I, I think about is the really great work in computing has been done in teams, not by individuals. Um, so I think we we do the work of, of any discipline, but computing as well a disservice by thinking in terms of kind of the single, the single hero as opposed to what a team accomplishes. If I had the ability to talk to any team, I would love to go and talk to the teams who were developing software for the first trips that we took to the moon. Um, so in the United States, the Apollo program, which was back in the in the mid 60s before we um, sent someone to the moon in the late 60s. I think about the operating constraints they were under, how little memory they had to work with. And yet they navigated, landed, lifted off on another, um, another body in space how did they think about that i would have no idea how to program plan under those constraints now so i think it'd be fascinating to get to watch design team meetings and see the way they had discussions back then working under a very different set of resource constraints than what we write software against today
0: yeah yeah quite quite interesting constraints there um, and also, like, I appreciate the, like, original point of view of, like, not thinking about here, but more thinking about, uh, like, an entire team cooperating. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's unusual, but, like, uh, original and nice. And um, uh, do you have a particular piece of software or application that you like the most?
1: <laughs> you know, uh, honestly, the first answer that came to mind when I saw that question is my favorite piece of technology is actually the Post-it note. And I, I love just being able to put ideas down and move them around places. And I've never actually found a good digital substitute for for post-it notes in a whiteboard. So I realize it's a strange thing to say for someone who spent their life in in computing. Um, but I think there's a simplicity and a, and a flexibility of of really simple things like post-it notes that they're what I turn to when I really feel like I'm stuck and need to be productive. It's It's kind of odd, but
0: yeah, yeah that's, a, that's agile thinking that right there. Paper and the physical manipulation of the world, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could change one thing about like software, what could it be? Maybe, you know, clean up the mess on the web or something about better source control, anything like that?
1: So right these days, my research is largely in computing education. So when I'm looking at software and systems, I really am taking an educational lens and if I think about it every piece of software that we develop today is both it's supporting someone in doing something but it's also teaching them something it's teaching them a workflow for example so if I think about a a piece of software and the fact that somebody is trying to learn through and with this software I think I wish that we thought about architecting software in ways that would let us understand the learning that is and isn't happening in the way that people people use it, um, because I think that would be a key part to us figuring out how to make software usable by people with different backgrounds or preparations or or even goals of what they're what they're trying to do. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I heard you um, I heard about your involvement with the Racket community in the past. How, yes. how uh-huh. did that happen? Like, uh, how did you get involved with Racket?
1: So, when I finished my PhD, I went to Rice University, which is where Matthias Felisen's group was at the at that time. And Matthias was—I had co-advisors for a postdoc that I was doing at Rice, and Matthias was half of. Uh, my advising team. And at the time they were just starting to offer workshops for high school teachers on the way that Rice had been teaching introductory computing. So this is the how to design programming, uh, how, I'm sorry, how to design programs book that Matthias and three of his grad students, uh, Shuram Krishnamurthy, Matthew Flat, and Robbie Finler were working out. And they were running one of these, these workshops and they needed an extra pair of hands in the lab because they were having trouble communicating with, with some of the teachers and they thought maybe I would be be better at explaining some stuff to them. And I watched and saw this methodology that they were trying to teach for how to design programs from understanding the shapes of the data. And I felt like if someone had shown me that when I was in undergrad, I would have had such an easier time understanding computing. I've always been somebody who thinks through formalism very comfortably. Um, I love logic puzzles and, and things like that. So that all resonated with me. So I came into the racket team through the high school teacher training workshops because I fell in love with the pedagogy that they were trying to do. And I've just been part of the team ever since.
0: Uh huh. I, I was just about to ask about how did you get into computer education, but I think you already answered that as well.
1: Well, yes and no. I mean, when I was in, in grad school, my research was in formal methods, largely. Uh, and even into the early years of being a, a professor, I was working on software verification and formal methods. But the problems I've always been interested in were about the side of formal methods where people actually have to reason about, um, a system through its formalism. And one day I realized that I was it was getting too easy to formalize something and, and prove things about it. But understanding how people used things and interacted things was much harder. So in some sense, being a, a computing ed researcher who does a lot of work in programming languages, I'm still focusing on formal methods, but I'm studying the learning and cognitive sides of it now. So really, I think I'm doing human-facing formal methods. And education is just a really good setting in which to study that, and it overlaps very nicely with somebody who teaches, um, because now you can you can watch what's happening and make observations and experiments in your own classes. Uh, so, so <laughs> really, is... it was coming through human human facing formal methods about media computing education.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting definition, human facing formal methods. Um, it, it seems like uh, opposite, uh, but <laughs> you are putting them together in this case. Right. Well we right. have
1: to get past the point where formal methods is something that's only accessible to people with, you know, PhDs or many, many years of of industrial experience. I mean, there's an ability to understand what a system is doing and articulate it that we should be able to get uh anywhere in the the undergraduate curriculum. So what does that look like? And how do we talk about formalism in that way? That's that's a lot of what I think about.
0: True. Um, um. Now for like, you know, going somewhere else, which is not like software development or computer science, uh, if you could do anything uh, else, what would you, what that would be? And uh, if it wasn't software development or computer science? Well,
1: I think in my case, I'm doing it and it's education research. So, um, yeah, I I wish I had understood that I was going to like education research so much Um, a little earlier in my academic career. I probably would have taken more cognitive science and psychology classes um but yeah that's that's what i have taken to doing so
0: okay (laughs) and uh, what do you do for fun then
1: jigsaw puzzles and (laughs) grocery shopping believe it or not if i'm having a really um intense time with projects the most relaxing thing i can do is go stand in the produce section of the supermarket
0: (laughs) Um, and do you have a favorite (laughs) one like supermarket? Oh, I mean, uh,
1: we have a we have a couple of good markets. We have a local farmers market that's really good. Um, but I think what, I really really love seeing a nice fresh bunch of um, greens, like a Swiss chard with the rainbow colored stems. Something like that. Just it it always calms me down, and it's very odd, but that's where it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> okay, and um, do you have any um, book or film or music you recommend?
1: Um. There's been a—it's actually a podcast series, which I figure is close enough—that uh, I have been listening to. It's—it's it's largely based in the, centered more in, in the U.S., uh, but it's called Scene on Radio," and it's produced out of Duke University, and they've been doing a series of seasons looking at things like um, both racial history and gender history, and now climate history, where they really kind of get me to step back and, and understand assumptions I've made throughout my life that I didn't even realize I was making. Um, so I have found it very interesting to, to listen to that and I can listen good. to that while I do jigsaw puzzles. So it, it combines very nicely.
0: Good, good. I'll make sure that is in the show notes so we can all click <laughs> on it. Um, now going philosophical and a little bit more abstract, mm-hmm. let's see how you do with this, like more complicated questions. Okay. What is your idea of perfect happiness?
1: I like the, the just the times when my, my family, my husband, my daughter, and I are just hanging out and doing something fun, uh, whether we're out for, a, out for a walk or playing a game of cards. Um, that's, that's pretty good in my book.
0: Well, that, that was easy for you to answer, so it wasn't complicated at all. That's no. good. <laughs> and uh, where would you most like to leave if it's not where you live already?
1: Um, well, I'm happy with where I live, but I think if I were going to, you know, pick my my ideal spot, it would be with an easy walk of mountains. I really like just being able to take a break, um, say in an afternoon, and go hike up a mountain. I currently live in one of the flattest places on the East Coast, so that that doesn't work so much. But uh, hmm. something to think about for someday.
0: Hmm. Okay, okay, good plan. <laughs> um, so if um, uh, you know already what your talk is going to be about. Can you just give us a brief introduction? Yeah,
1: sure. Um, what I have been working on for the last several years is redesigning the introductory computer science course, uh, here at, here at Brown, so that we can better embrace data science and computer science. And what that's currently come to as we've been looking at it is we're calling it data centric computing, where we're doing some data science, data engineering, Conventional computer science data structures and responsible use of data, responsible computing. And we're finding that these weave together very nicely in ways that let us speak to a broader audience of students, but also covering the same kind of computer science content that we always covered Um, In what's been a more conventional intro to computer science class. So in my talk, I'll be be looking at the motivations behind this and what what I mean by data centric and some of the ideas we've had for how to bring all these things together in an approachable way.
0: Fantastic. Looking forward to that. And uh, is there anything else uh, you would like to add?
1: No, I've enjoyed doing the interview. I'm looking forward to getting to engage with, with folks at the, at the talk. So I hope people will come and, and ask lots of questions. I, I'm used to it from teaching classes. So looking forward to it.
0: Fantastic. Uh, likewise, Kathy, it uh, was a, a pleasure to speak with you and uh, looking forward to your talk. Same, thank you Thank very much. you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.